Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, we're excited to bring you a special bonus episode of SwiftCast this week. We're taking a break from our regularly scheduled episode and we're sharing with you something that Adam and I recorded last week that we think you're going to really like. We talked to a couple of people from the podcast Pop Unmuted. It's a really awesome podcast that talks all about pop music and this was for their special Grammy episode. So I know we talked a lot about Taylor at the Grammys on our episode that we released last week, but... We talked to Scott and Kurt from Pop Unmuted about the entire show, all the winners, all the performances, and everything like that. So we think you guys are going to like it, and you should give them a follow at Pop Unmuted on Twitter, and check out their episodes at popunmuted.com. We are joined, I'm very excited about this, by two special guests, Ashley and Adam from SwiftCast, the number one Taylor Swift podcast. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Hey, thanks for having us. So let's start a little bit. Maybe you guys can tell us a little bit about your show and then we'll dive back into the Grammys. Yeah, absolutely. So basically for three years, a group of fans have, we've just been putting up episodes to, I guess the main purpose is to keep Taylor fans up to date. And it started during the Red Tour in 2013, and it was more just a way to update people on the news and the tour updates. But we've kept it going, obviously, for a long time, like through the 1989 tour. And now that that's over, we really just talk about everything Taylor-related, like literally any topic. We've probably covered it with Taylor. Yeah, I mean, Kurt and I talk about pretty decent amount about taylor on this show but i don't i mean we've only had one like really specific taylor centric episode right about um shake it off oh yeah we did i'll have to listen to that one yeah that was right after it came out but in general i feel like we're a pretty pro taylor swift podcast yeah she comes up a lot (laughs) yeah that's cool and i feel like there is a lot of news about her i mean i would consider her on top of the pop music world right now. Yeah, so I think we there are definitely lots of things that you can talk about regarding her. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's kind of hard if you're talking about pop music, it's hard to ignore Taylor Swift, especially in the past two years. Well, yeah. And I remember one of our guests I was talking to recently said something along the lines of there's about 11 total songs on the radio right now, and five of them are Taylor. <laughs> yeah, which is great. Yeah, I'm I'm cool with that. Yeah. I think we would prefer there to be more Carly Rae Jepsen, personally. That's how <laughs> our podcast tends to, to lean, but... That's so funny, because it's at any given time, it's like someone is dominating the radio, and it just like goes in these cycles where someone will get a lot of airplay, and then someone else will sort of come along. And Taylor, I guess we've always been impressed, has been one of the only people that's managed to stay on the radio for as long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's dive right into the Grammys. What number Grammy is this, Kurt? Uh, the 58th. 
58 years. Let's start with some general impressions. I mean, did you guys enjoy watching this? Yeah, I did. I was actually very surprised when you said earlier that it was the lowest rated Grammys because I actually enjoyed it. It's funny because last year, by like a crazy set of circumstances, I got to actually go and attend. So it was kind of different having to go back to watching it on the screen. And (laughs) there were definitely some performances I really liked, some of which were not even necessarily the ones I was expecting to like the most. So mm-hmm. I thought it was a good show. I'm kind of surprised that it was, I guess it's like you said, probably because it was on a Monday. What was like the biggest difference seeing the show live versus what you're used to watching it at home? I guess it, live, it's hard to explain, but you just really get a sense of how chaotic it truly is. Like it all seems very choreographed and like rehearsed. I mean, obviously there were problems mm-hmm. with, you know, Adele's equipment or whatever, but when you're there, between every performance and every award, the room is just crazy. People are just running around like nothing mm. is going smoothly at all. And it's just like really interesting to see how well they play that off on TV most of the time. Cool. So on our last episode, Kurt and I made our predictions for like the big four categories for record of the year, song of the year, album of the year, and best new artist. So I thought maybe we can start by looking at those big four categories see who won, see how poorly we did, and then just sort of talk about what we thought about all those awards. So the first award, which was really the last award of the night, and something that I guess was untraditional, usually album of the year is the last award presented on the I was very confused about that. I don't know why that happened, but it's kind of interesting. The nominees, again, I'll recap those, were Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars with Uptown Funk, D'Angelo and the Vanguard with Really Love, Ed Sheeran with Thinking Out Loud, Taylor Swift with Blank Space, and The Weeknd with Can't Feel My Face. Oh yeah, we both got this one right, actually. Uh, yeah. Looking back at what we said, we both said that Uptown Funk would win, and it did. Yeah. Well, what do you guys think? Are you Uptown Funk fans? I am. I thought that that song was just such a big hit over the last year. Mm-hmm. You heard it all the time on radio, and I know that Grammys are not supposed to be one based on radio play or album sales. It's more about the technical aspects if you will or for record of the year the performance of the song but i thought it was a a very deserving winner in that category yeah and i think kind of our general consensus was that taylor probably would not win record of the year or song of the year just because there was such strong competition but we didn't really care we were only concerned about album so right we got, I think, seven awards during the show last night, maybe eight. And all the rest of them get presented in the, the pre-ceremony that happens in the afternoon. So Jeff Basker, who uh, has production credit on Uptown Funk, won Producer of the Year. And so when we saw that, we kind of thought, okay, maybe that's leading up to something foreshadowing a little bit. But definitely, like you guys said, I think it's definitely a deserving win. Yeah, I will just say, because we didn't mention this on our predictions part of the last episode, I think Where Are You Now was kind of snubbed in this category. Hmm. I think as a production, that's such an incredible track that did something so different and unique and was a pretty huge hit. And it won Best Dance Recording. I would have liked to see that in this category, but I'm satisfied with Uptown Funk winning. Yeah. Okay, so Song of the Year was a category that I got right. The winner was Ed Sheeran and Amy Wadge, who wrote Thinking Out Loud. Amy Wadge, who got totally snubbed when she was going to talk last night. I don't know if you noticed that. Okay, so I'm glad that you confirmed for me, because I was wondering who that was. I assumed it had to be. Yep, that's the other songwriter of the song. And she started to talk, take the microphone after Ed talked, and then out came the Eagles. So I guess she was done. (laughs) (laughs) 
So uh, he beat out Kendrick Lamar's All Right, Taylor Swift's Blank Space, Little Big Town's Girl Crush, and then Wiz Khalifa and Charlie Puth would see you again. Yeah, so I got this one wrong. I said Blank Space would take this. I'm not upset that Ed Sheeran got it. I don't think Taylor was upset that <laughs> definitely not. I think she was very excited that he got it, actually. Yeah, I definitely agree. We were very happy for Ed, and Taylor was obviously very happy. When the nominations came out and we talked on our podcast about them, I think the general consensus was that it was a 50-50 shot between Thinking Out Loud and Blank Space. Not to diminish the other nominees, but that just right. seemed to be the general consensus. So while I was hoping it was Blank Space and it would have been great to win Song of the Year for a song that is basically about the media... Right. It was perfectly fine, and I'm very happy that Ed won. Yeah, I guess my hope is that this will sort of make Ed stop being as underrated as he has been when it comes to award shows. I mean, he's doing so well. He, you know, obviously he started out in the UK. He got really big over here. He's now selling out football stadiums here, which is amazing. And yet I feel like he's often snubbed at these award shows, and a lot of his songs are very deserving. Jason Lipshot's uh Fuse wrote a piece about the eligibility period of the Grammys being so messed up mm -hmm. that Ed Sheeran performed Thinking Out Loud at the Grammys last yeah, year. Right. right, yeah. And then won for Song of the Year this year. So they really need to revamp the way they do this. It's very confusing, especially when you see things like, oh, best new whatever, and you're like, wait, is this new? Because... Mm -hmm. The calendar system is so strange that it's it's very confusing, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess let's take that thread and talk about Best New Artist. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was talking about. Yeah, so this is the category that neither of us got right. The nominees were uh, Megan Trainer, Courtney Barnett, James Bay, Sam Hunt, and Tori Kelly. Um, I said Tori Kelly, and I think, uh, Scott, you said Courtney Barnett? Yep. Yep, and it was Megan Trainer. Actually, I said <laughs> as long as it's anyone but Megan Trainer. Yeah, I so. am 100% with you. I was not happy. Yeah, I might have tweeted uh, the word tragic when she run. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the general population seemed to be pretty unhappy with it from just what yeah. I saw on Twitter. I don't really like this category anyway. Mm -hmm. It's kind of meaningless. Like we said, who is a new artist is very confusing. She, I believe, was nominated for a Grammy last year, so she shouldn't count as a new artist the the rules on this have always been super confusing and i mean because you had to have at least a five song release before the end of the eligibility period which is september okay, 30th yeah. and so i think she had a four song ep come out before that so that didn't count even though she was already like had a huge song with all about that bass i think lips are moving was starting off by then so she was obviously in people's minds at that time within that eligibility period but then due to a technicality, she wasn't actually nominated until this year, where this year she's on her like her fourth hit single now and is a huge name. And it just seems it seems late. Yeah, I absolutely think that if you've already had a nomination in a previous year that you should not count as new. That just seems logical to me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's a lot of things about the Grammys that are not logical. It's just how it is. One person pointed out on Twitter, which made me feel better to think about it this way, that Taylor, Ed Sheeran, and Tori Kelly are all people that have lost out for Best New Artist. Yeah, and Bieber. I'll just throw him in there. Yeah, and obviously they've all been very successful despite that. I kind of feel like it's a similar concept to winning American Idol 
Like sometimes yeah. the runner-ups end up doing better than mm. the winners. You know, it's it's kind of meaningless at the end of the day, that title. Yeah. If it's so meaningless, let's not spend too much more time on it. Kurt, <laughs> let's move to the one that really matters. Or maybe not. I don't know. But album of the year. <laughs> yeah, so album of the year is the one that I got wrong and you got right. Um, mm-hmm. So we both ended up getting two of them correct. So the category had the nominees of Taylor Swift with 1989, which of course won. There was also Alabama Shakes with Sound and Color, Kendrick Lamar with To Pimp a Butterfly, Chris Stapleton with Traveler, and The Weeknd with Beauty Behind the Madness. One thing I kind of thought about this morning after I was thinking about who actually won these awards is that every single one of these albums was in a different genre category, right? and every single one of those albums won its genre category. So, I mean, all of these albums went home with awards, which is pretty cool. It was basically a duking out of these different genres, and it just happened that this year, Pop won with Taylor Swift winning. That's a very good point. I didn't realize that. Kurt and I will get into our thoughts about this, but since you guys are the Swifties here, what does this you know, mean for you? What does it mean for Taylor? How excited are you about her getting <laughs> the second Album of the Year award? Oh, you know, it, it's casual. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think I lost my voice last night, honestly. She is the first woman to ever have won Album of the Year twice. So that Mm -hmm. is pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. From our perspective and from my perspective, we were just ecstatic. 1989 was starting to be developed about two years ago. And to culminate after releasing the album, having all the great sales that it had, the overwhelmingly positive reception, followed by a world tour that sold out every single date. And then to lead up to the album of the year nomination in December and to culminate with the the victory was just unbelievable. Yeah, I think you guys talked about this on your last episode, how her losing for Red against Random Access Memories was sort of the catalyst for her thinking about this album. So there's a kind of a beautiful poetry of that, like the two years later, winning that award for her follow-up album. Yeah, you're exactly right. And Ashley, if I'm not mistaken, you can verify this, but I believe the night of the 2014 Grammys, she went to sleep and woke up and decided that this next album would be called 1989. That's the story. There's sort of been this conversation that's been happening amongst like the media and critics and everything about Taylor, where people seem to I guess almost frame it as a bad thing and say that every single thing that she's done for the past two years has been a strategic business decision, all only centering around wanting to win album of the year. And obviously I can't speak to that. Only Taylor would know. But for me, I feel like if that's true, that's amazing. (laughs) She's so smart. She knows exactly what to do. She knows how to capitalize on the things that work for her, the way that she interacts with fans and the way that she collaborates with other artists she's been doing since 2006 and it's always worked for her and she's just built on that and built on that and is besides being a great musician I feel like the smartest business person out there so that's yet another reason for me why I was very happy that she won yeah I think that criticism gets levied at her a lot even if it's not specifically everything leading up to you know winning album of the year it's very clear that all of her moves are very calculated and very Mm -hmm. controlled but i don't see that as a negative Mm -hmm. i mean if she's in the music business it's not like her music is 
less good for it. It's just the way that she controls her career is very calculated and it's effective. And I think that's something to be celebrated rather than um, denigrated. Absolutely. I mean, you see so many celebrities, musicians or anybody that just they get famous and they just have this kind of loss of control and the media starts to control them. And, you know, you just see them go on this downward spiral. And for me, it's it's just incredible that she's managed to keep control of it so well. I'm trying to think of an example to actually make this point, but I can't totally think of one right now. Maybe you guys can help me. But I will say if like a male pop star had this much control over his career, it would not be seen as a negative, I'm mm-hmm. tempted to say. I was tempted to say that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's completely true. Definitely. Maybe that's a good transition to talking about her acceptance speech. Yeah, I think that it's impossible not to have heard about what happened with Kanye a few days before the Grammys. <laughs> right. For anyone who didn't hear, basically, he came out with a song that had a line in it saying that he made her famous. People were just waiting and dying to see how she would respond. And I personally love that she just didn't respond at all because she really doesn't need to. And then the way that she worked that into her speech was just brilliant. After the controversy came out about that lyric, Kanye tweeted in one of his many Twitter yeah. rants in the past week. <laughs> his numbered tweets to help you follow yeah. along. With and it. Honestly, like they're such a beautiful mess. He left in a tweet that he deleted, but he left in a tweet where there were like editor notes in the tweet. Oh, that's so good. So, so is someone writing them for him? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that he is also very calculated, but it's calculated chaos. Yeah, there you go. I don't know if you guys saw, but Taylor's publicist did release a statement saying that that is not true. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Mm-hmm. I did not see that. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she basically said... Kanye called Taylor to ask Taylor to release the song on her Twitter account, and she declined. Gee, I wonder why. (laughs) Yeah. And she warned him not to release a song with such a sexist message, but I don't think he actually filled her in on the actual details of what was in it. I just don't think he did. I want to say to all the young women out there, there are going to be people along the way who will try to undercut your success or take credit for your accomplishments or your fame. But if you just focus on the work and you don't let those people sidetrack you, someday when you get where you're going, you'll look around and you will know that it was you and the people who love you who put you there. And that will be the greatest feeling in the world. Thank you for this moment. So... The other thing that was brought up a lot last night about the speech, kind of in a negative sense, was in reaction to Taylor saying stuff specifically to young girls that when you have success, there are going to be people that try to take credit for it, that try to diminish your involvement in it. And obviously, that's like a very, very common thing for women in the music industry. And she's saying, you know, don't let them do that. And it got a lot of criticism because she's standing on a stage surrounded by other songwriters and producers who worked on the album, all of who were men. But to me, it seemed like that was the point, is that they are behind her. They're not speaking. They worked for her, with her, on her songs. Going back to the 1989 tour, the thing that was different about it from every other tour that she's done is she decided to have a crew of all-male backup dancers, no women. Okay. 
So I think that was like a really important, again, strategic part of this whole 1989 era that she's created. I guess my point was, don't say she tried to be a feminist, but then ended up needing all of these men because every person she's had involved in this entire era was chosen very specifically for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it really should like counteract her message at all. Mm-hmm. So you guys being a pop music podcast might know a little bit more than myself uh, about Kendrick Lamar. And I wanted to bring him up because I feel like there was a lot of talk that he maybe would win album of the year and maybe should have won album of the year. I do not know much about him at all. I have not listened to his album, but from what I hear is that that it's very culturally relevant and very important. And I was wondering what you guys thought about his album and if he should have won. I think if I'm not mistaken, we didn't both predict that he would win, but we both said we wanted him to win. Or did you say Alabama Shake? No, I said I'd be fine with any of them, but I said it'd be nice to see him recognized for it. Yeah. So obviously this is, you know, controversial talking to to Taylor Swift podcasters, but (laughs) yeah, I think that his album is amazing. 1989 is amazing. Also, what he did was incredible on the album. His first album is great too, but this one to Pimple Butterfly is like such an artistic achievement. Mm -hmm. It's so layered and nuanced and personal and culturally relevant, like you said, and so important about race and hip hop and the state of hip hop. And yeah, it, it would have been really nice to see him win that award. I think Taylor Swift is, you know, I don't want to say like more deserving or less deserving. It's whatever in the end, the award is not that huge of a deal. It would have been great to see him recognized for that. But I think there's a lot of people who are so reactionary against Taylor Swift winning it. And I think it's not necessary. And I think it brings out a lot of misogyny on the internet. And that's not fair. And it's not like Kendrick and Taylor have beef. They won together last night for Bad Blood. So I don't know. So they don't have any Bad Blood. Yeah, they don't have bad blood. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that Kendrick won five awards last night, so he had a pretty good night himself. Yeah, Kendrick was the big winner last night. He had five. Taylor Swift and Alabama Shakes were tied with three. And then, of course, Kendrick had that performance that was just huge. My favorite performance of the night um, was his. Yeah, and that's the thing is that I feel like a lot of other fan bases of any artists aren't necessarily as respectful as we try to be as Taylor's fans, because I think we try and emulate what taylor herself acts like but if she had lost i would be very disappointed but i would never say that another artist who won didn't deserve it or shouldn't have won you know obviously if they're in this category they're all very deserving and it's just it's kind of arbitrary at the end of the day yeah i mean i think last year the narrative of beck whose album is very you know quiet and safe and folky and white male um, (laughs) beating Beyonce's album, which was very experimental and interesting and current and difficult. That was a bummer because it it really felt like artistry losing. Yeah. It it highlighted to the potential for the, the NARS voting committee to be that kind of raucous leaning old white male kind of, kind of trend that it, portray sometimes right and i think that people try to fit that same narrative here but i don't think that's fair because i think taylor's album is also 
interesting and in a way experimental and very personal and nuanced and layered as well. It's not the same situation at all. Well, I guess let's start talking about some of the performances and maybe because Taylor started the performances, we can start with Taylor. We were very unsure of what she was actually going to be performing. The rumor, I guess, was that she was going to perform something that she'd never performed on TV before. Yeah, but that was a very misguided quote, wherever that came from. Right, because the thing is that she had performed Out of the Woods on Jimmy Kimmel. Was that even before the album came out, right? Yeah, it was. Oh, wow. Correct. Mm -hmm. So we had no idea what that actually meant, and we were hoping and thinking maybe it would be like a medley of songs or a mashup of some sort or even one of the songs that hasn't been promoted as a single because the album Mm -hmm. is full of so many great songs. So if you guys aren't familiar with the 1989 tour, the performance that she did was pretty much exactly the performance that was on the tour. I mean, were you guys disappointed with that? I was not because that is my favorite tour performance. Yeah, it's mine too. Or well, I say that about all of them, but I love that (laughs) performance. I think the only thing that disappointed me was that it seemed a little bit short. And then especially compared to some of the other people, I feel like Lady Gaga performed for like 15 minutes. So I was a little underwhelmed by it because when it's like the opening performance, you expect something kind of big. So I was also anticipating maybe some sort of medley, even just like two songs or three songs or doing something really big and flashy. Like I think of her performance of 22 at the Billboard Music Awards where she was like going through the audience and it was a very good performance. She sang it beautifully. She looked amazing. We also need to talk about her hair. (laughs) It would have been great in the middle of the show, but as an opener, it seemed a little underwhelming to me. I would agree generally. What do you guys think about the hair though? Well, it seems like she changes her hair with each era, with each album, if you will. So I feel like it kind of signified the end of the 1989 era. And then if she continues the path that she has been doing for the past 10 years, she will be beginning a new era now and releasing a new album in the fall, which we still have no idea, of course, if that will come to fruition. But that might be the, the signal. Yeah, I was just surprised because it seemed over the past few months since the tour ended that she'd been growing her hair out longer. So I thought that's the direction she was going in. Yeah, I think there's also something specifically interesting about that haircut, like getting a bob. It's very clearly reminiscent of like a flapper haircut. And the sort of gender politics that go along with that, I think are interesting, especially when it's paired with her having that very feminist speech directed at young girl artists, her having like the hair that signifies sexual liberation and female empowerment in the early 20th century, I think is like very interesting. Absolutely. And this is like a very interesting time for us fans. It always is between every tour and album because we're sort of just sitting here waiting for something, anything to give us a clue of what's coming next. Were there any Other performances that stood out to you? I mean, I know Kurt mentioned Kendrick and I want to talk about that, but what else was really good for you guys? For me, it was the one that I expected to love and loved, the Tori Kelly, James Bay performance. And then the one that I didn't really think too much about, but ended up loving was actually Justin Bieber. Oh, yeah. 
See, I'm a big Bieber fan, so I had... <laughs> you had high hopes, yeah. Yeah. This one I thought was interesting because people use the Grammys to perform their like authenticity, and they tend to strip things back or sing a ballad or mm-hmm. sort of show their true artistry. And we definitely got that with Bieber. He did Love Yourself, Acoustic Guitar, and then went into like more of a rock version of Where Are You Now that I liked because it's more interesting to me when an artist does something very different with the song and the performance for an award show. And I felt like he was the only one who did something really different with his songs. Like even the little big town performance, which I love with the strings, Mm -hmm. it's more or less the same arrangement, just played with a string, like a chamber group instead of, you know, the guitar and country band. But Justin Bieber, like changed the chords of the song and changed the style and really like, had an immersive performance that I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I agree. Um, I like the acoustic performance better than the second half. Yeah. But I still think it was a good performance, and I'm glad that him and Diplo and Skrillex got to be on stage together because they won one Grammy or two? Just one? I think just the one for... Yeah, for Best Dance Recording. Okay, so I just want to get this one out of the way. I want to talk about Adele, but only briefly. Um, (laughs) So... (laughs) What's the general feeling on Adele on this show? We are very split. Scott hates Adele. (laughs) I love Adele. (laughs) So, okay. The first thing, we had to talk about the issues that happened. Apparently, a microphone that was inside the piano fell out of position, which caused it to lean against the strings, which caused it to sound like there was like a guitar playing. I thought it was what's called a prepared piano, where you intentionally put something metal on the strings to give it that sound. But apparently it was not intentional. She blamed that for her being out of tune, which is not fair because that is not why she was out of tune. She was just out of tune. I'm sorry, guys. I don't know. I think it was distracting enough that I think that could be at least partially to blame. I mean, she's had better performances. I'll definitely say that. And I'll definitely say she wasn't one of my favorite performances of the night. But it was okay. I don't think she's as out of tune as you think she always is. But I went back and watched it, and you're right. It was less out of tune than I thought it was. Still, she oversings. And clearly, like that's been a problem. She's needed to get vocal surgery before because she doesn't know how to take care of her voice and sing properly. That clearly has not been resolved because she's just straining and over-singing. And by the end, it does sound very bad. Yeah, and I thought it was just kind of one of her usual performances, kind of just going through the motions, nothing special, and it was just okay. I think that's the thing for me. If she's going to present herself as the voice, which is what she does. Does she do that? Yes. Mm. If you go out and consistently perform your songs with just a piano, you're forefronting your voice and that's what everyone talks about with her is like how amazing her voice is and how emotional her voice is and if that's your thing that's cool but then you really have to like be on your game as a vocalist what i will say though is that i wish she hadn't done that song all i ask which is the one that she uh co-wrote with bruno mars right and i get the whole thing is that she's trying to present herself as an album artist so she's been performing all sorts of different album tracks on different live performances on TV. The one I wish she would really do, and I don't think she's done it yet, is Water Under the Bridge. Um, yeah. It's one of my favorite songs on the album, and it's one of the only ones where she's actually like has a beat behind her. <laughs> right. So that would kind of nullify some people's complaints, yours probably included, about her being slow and only with a piano. Let's talk about Hamilton. Have any of you been familiar with Hamilton, the sort of huge phenomenon of Hamilton? Yeah, I've, I've just recently started hearing a ton of buzz about it. 
I knew what it was. I knew that it was huge, but I haven't heard anything from it yet until last night. Yeah, I trust the overwhelming opinion. I've never seen anyone say anything bad about Hamilton after mm-hmm. they've seen it or listened to it, the the full album. I haven't done that yet because I'm waiting on possibly seeing it, which will never happen. But the performance, it seems like that was a weird song for them to pick. It's so yeah. expository. It's the opening number. It's just kind of like giving you the backstory of Hamilton. And that's not particularly captivating. So I I trust everyone when they say that it's really, really good, but I don't think that that showcased it. I was intrigued for sure. I feel like that performance was enough to make me want to listen to the soundtrack. Yeah. Well, then that was followed up very quickly by Kendrick Lamar. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was my favorite performance of the night. I mean, it was kind of a, a nice culmination of the past year for him with being such a big figure in the hip hop community and such a... A statement, I guess, of his political message and his cultural message. Very um, powerful performance. I thought the production was great on it. I loved like the camera work that they did and the choreography and all that. Really strong performance. So for Adam and Ashley, who I guess are not as familiar with Kendrick, what did you think of that performance? Yeah, I mean, I definitely enjoyed it. It's kind of hard for me to focus on both the performance and the lyrics at the same time (laughs) and i feel like his lyrics are obviously very well thought out i also was semi-distracted because i kept hoping that taylor was going to come back out and they would finally do (laughs) bad blood together because it still hasn't happened which we don't understand why but yeah i mean i thought it was a great performance I agree with a lot of what Kurt said about the production and the choreography. I liked how, you know, you had the saxophone player at the beginning Mm -hmm. and I liked the fire that was in the middle of the performance. And like Ashley said, and not being that familiar with Kendrick and his lyrics, I would like to maybe learn the songs a little bit more and, or maybe even watch the performance with the lyrics on the side of the screen so that I could understand more about what he's talking about because from what I understand, it's really important and it's a, a good message. And overall, I think he was good, though. Yeah, I mean, so we also got a lot of tributes. Uh, and the big one, of course, is Gaga doing the David Bowie tribute. But we also had the Eagles with Jackson Brown doing a tribute to Glenn Fry. Mm-hmm. We had Stevie Wonder and Pentatonix doing a short tribute to Maurice White from <sighs> Earth, Wind & Fire. We had Miguel doing a short Michael Jackson tribute, which doesn't totally make sense, but I'm never going to complain about Michael Jackson tributes. We had Vampires of Hollywood, which is was such a mess, doing, I guess, a tribute to <laughs> Lemmy from Motorhead. Am I missing one? I feel... Oh, yeah. And the B.B. King tribute with Chris Stapleton, Bonnie Raitt, and Gary Clark Jr. And the Lionel Richie tribute. And the Lionel Richie. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so many tributes. Yeah. Stop dying. And I get it. I mean, we... Lionel Richie didn't die, but we lost a lot of major figures in music in the past year and a half or so. So I understand why they did those tributes. And I think, honestly, I thought they were all good, except, you know, the Vampires of Hollywood, which admittedly was not for me. Uh, yeah, I, I could pass on Pentatonix too. But You know what? <laughs> I have gone on record as saying I don't like the Pentatonix. I thought they were really good. I mean, Stevie Wonder is always really, really good. I thought they were good behind him. I thought the harmonies were nice. I love Earth, Wind, and Fire. I thought the song choice was a little weird, but I, I, I enjoyed it. And I also loved Stevie's sense of humor and how funny he was yeah. in presenting that award. <laughs> I mean, it was funny, but it was also kind of serious talking about, you know, 
uh, equality yeah. for people with disabilities. You can't read it, you can't read Braille. Ah, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I just want to say before saying the winner that we need to make every single thing accessible to every single person with a disability. I will say also that the uh, B.B. King tribute was one of my favorite performances of the night. Coming in, I knew that that one was going to be really great. I mean, you had Chris Stapleton, who can just wail, and then also Bonnie Raitt, who of course is great, and Gary Clark Jr. Yeah, so that one going in, I was kind of like, this one's going to be one of my favorites, and it was. And I was surprised, too, the Lionel Richie tribute was, it kind of felt potential train wrecky to me with uh, like Luke yeah. Bryan and Megan Trainer in there. It seemed kind of weird, but I mean, they did okay. I reached it really well. At first, I was like, Lionel Richie's not dead. Like, Put him on stage. Why is he just sitting there? And so then finally he came up. I'm he like, did okay, come, thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, I thought Demi Lovato killed that performance of Hello. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to mention her too. I thought that Luke and Megan were just all right, but I think Demi was the best one of that whole tribute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have to talk again for just a minute about Tori Kelly, because it's been so exciting for me to see the way her career has progressed in the past mm-hmm. couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I I really like the performance. It does suffer from what I've been kind of complaining about is like everyone trying to showcase their voice. That's what she's been doing on award shows for a long time. But both of them, and I actually really wasn't familiar with James Bay, but both of them are very, very talented singers. So it worked. I thought she sounded better than him, but (laughs) I like them together. I had the chance to see her in concert in October and she just blew me away completely. Yeah, I love her. I really hope, I saw someone tweet this last night that they hope that Tori's next album is one where she kind of really gets her vocals to shine because, I mean, this one was a little overproduced, I thought her debut album was, whereas the EP before that was kind of more acoustic, singer-songwriter-y vein that I think really, really suits her well. And I'm I'm glad that they do that for her live performances. That's kind of a setting where I think she really shines. And so, I mean, that's why she keeps doing it. I mean, and like every time she performs, it's she's like the performance that everyone's talking about the next day. So I hope that her label sees that and goes, okay, this is what we need to do for the next album. Yeah, and it's... It's interesting because I guess she's worked with Max Martin on a lot of her yeah. stuff. Yep. And he, I think, tends to favor more of the more produced songs, I guess, not as much the stripped down stuff. Yeah. So there's one more big performance that we haven't really talked about, which is the Gaga David Bowie tribute. Is anyone here a big David Bowie fan? Unfortunately um, not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Me too. I, you know, have always liked David Bowie, but I've never really dug into his career. And I think part of that is because he does so many different things and every album was such a different style and a different character and a different thing that it's kind of hard to break in unless you really commit to like going album by album. But I've always liked all the singles. He has a ton of hits. Obviously, it's so tragic that he passed away at a relatively young age. And Gaga is, you know, I guess the only person you would get to do that tribute, right? Yeah, I think she was the most fitting. I think so. I've seen a lot of people complain that she did too many songs and that she would do like 30 seconds of a song and then move to another one. And I think that's stemming from the problem that he had so many hits and so many different styles that they wanted to try to represent. Yeah. I think she did a good job with all of them. I guess I think it would have possibly been a stronger performance had she only done 
two or three songs and made them longer and more more impactful. But at the same time, I think performances like these show really the breadth of someone's career and how how much impact he made, I guess. So I think I don't have a problem with that. You know, she was very clearly doing a David Bowie impression, which is sort of what she does. All of her eras yeah. and styles are impressions. And I don't necessarily mean that as a negative. That's like her shtick is that she's always putting on a voice, whether it's the jazz voice that she uses for Tony Bennett or it's her <laughs> own pop voice for whatever, or her very pseudo classical voice for the sound of music performance. It's all like a show. And this felt very much like a drag performance, which it was. And I think that's an interesting way to pay tribute to him because so much of his thing was playing with identity and with character and, mm. So I I wasn't bothered by her moving in and out of songs so quickly. I think it sort of got the point. It got to show off the different costumes. It got to show off the different styles. Didn't do anything particularly interesting with any of the songs, but was very faithful to them. I don't know. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I think her initial plan was to debut new music at this show. She also had that partnership with Intel, which we saw a commercial about afterward. The dancing keyboard? Yeah. It just didn't feel super a super big part of the performance, the Intel partnership of the thing. It didn't seem like that was a huge deal to me. And so I hate it, but it leaves me wondering like what would have happened if she hadn't done that, if she had done new music, how this would have been different. And so I was kind of hoping too, that like the, the commercial that was coming on after her performance was going to announce like the beginning of a campaign with Intel that was going to lead to new music or something. And I think that probably would have been a little bit of distasteful. So, I mean, I can see why it didn't happen, but yeah, so let's just quickly go through, I think there are three performances we didn't talk about, and maybe there's reason for that. <laughs> Sam Hunt and Carrie Underwood, the best part about it was Sam Hunt's arms, um, <laughs> which, God, so dreamy. Alabama Shakes, unfortunately, was kind of... Oh, stop, I love them. No, I love them too. I thought it was a good performance. <laughs> it was just kind of boring that they just played the lead single from that album. They didn't really do anything with it. I would have. I would have loved to see them paired up with someone, you know? Like, I would have loved to see Chris Stapleton and Alabama Shakes oh, do something. Oh, that would have been good. And then the other one is um, Pitbull to close no. out the show. Let's not talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know if we yeah. need to talk about that We one. could have just all turned off our TVs at that. That would have been fine. <laughs> well, I just have to ask, in Grammy meetings, who raised their hand and said, yes, that is a good idea to have him close right. the show? Pitbull's exactly. not even the worst. Who thought, like, you know what? We Robin need to get Robin Thicke. Like why? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know why that needed to happen. Pitbull has basically <laughs> been the filler performer in things like iHeartRadio Fest, like Jingle Ball. Mm-hmm. He's just like right. random guy who always shows up in this lineup of people and nobody cares. I just don't <laughs> understand I don't understand it. The day yeah. that Taylor brought him as a special guest on stage was the worst day of my life. <laughs> you know what? I gotta defend Pitbull a little bit. Like, I don't like Pitbull. I would never spend money to go to a Pitbull concert. But you know what? He gives it 110%. And (laughs) he's always on brand. And no one really cares about that brand. But someone's got to do what he does, right? And he does it well. Hey, he's Mr. Worldwide. He's worldwide. (laughs) He's very consistent, yes. Very on brand. We already had the TV turned off and we're popping the champagne when that started. <laughs> yep, I was I was about ready to do this. Well, go to bed, not pop champagne. But <laughs> we, we celebrated Taylor. It was great. <laughs> I know a lot of people didn't like these Grammys. 
I wasn't bothered by them because I think I just have low expectations for what the Grammys are. I'm not yeah. expecting all the performances to be entertaining. I'm not expecting the right people to win every award. I'm not expecting to be like, I don't know, blown away. I found it entertaining enough. I have low expectations for award shows in general yeah. at this point. The Grammys are the ones where I feel a little bit higher expectations, but at the same time, I don't go into these and like plan to be outraged when someone I think is going to win doesn't win or when a performance is not super great. Like I'm the show is fine. It's cool. Whatever. We don't need to like freak out about it or drip tons of snark on our Twitter all night, which yeah. well, maybe we did a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> and I like how it is able to display a bunch of different types of music. And yeah. I like mm-hmm. that they only give out a couple of awards, you know, maybe six or however many it was. And that, pretty much 90% of the show is music, which is great. That's interesting because I've seen so many opposite complaints about that, where like, this is the Grammy Awards, like there should be a ton of awards on the Grammy Awards. But then I think all these people who are are watching this, they don't care. Like they want to watch it for the performances. Like it's an, it's an entertainment thing for them. I don't think people would tune into the pre-show ceremony and go, oh, right. They're going to announce best children's album and best soundtrack (laughs) for visual media. I'm so excited. I think that's fine. It's a, I mean, it's a television program. It makes sense that they should be putting the focus on music. And I like that, like, like you said, I like that it really is music's biggest night is what they call it. And I think that they, they portray that well. Yeah. Agreed. We hope you enjoyed hearing our collaboration with Pop Unmuted. Check them out at popunmuted.com. And as always, you can find us on Twitter at SwiftCast13 and on our website, SwiftCast13.com. So we hope you guys enjoy this episode and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of SwiftCast. Visit us on the web at theswiftcast.com. SwiftCast is not directly affiliated with Taylor Swift. Big Machine Label Group, or 13 Management. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.